Home Court Press, we are back. It's a Wednesday, and McCade, I'm telling you, I think we were made for things just like this. What else could explain us waiting to record? <laughs> Normally, we've been doing it on Tuesdays this offseason. We had to wait until Wednesday, and then we get this bombshell. The Jazz are being sold. Dropped well, on Wednesday, us. Wednesday, we do it usually in the morning, and we actually decided to wait for about noonish, and that ended up being perfect because there was a uh, some major news in Jazz land here in the past couple hours that we want to break down. And some other things around the league I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. But obviously the big news of the day, the Millers are no longer majority owner of the Utah Jazz. Jazz fans get familiar with the name Ryan Smith. He's the kind of the brainchild of Qualtrics and grew that company and sold it to SAP for, I, I believe what I read was about $8 billion. This was, what, 2016, 2017? And uh, yeah, hometown kid makes good and makes billions of dollars in the tech industry in analytics, something we talk about a lot on this podcast. We mention it all the time, and this is a guy who made his nest egg in analytics, buys the jazz from Gail Miller and uh, you know her, her late husband, Larry Miller. They'd been owners of this team for 35 years, and, and now we got somebody new at the helm. This is interesting, McKay. Interesting yeah. to say the least. Uh, first, let's just thank the Millers for everything they've done in Utah from when they got their feet in the water in the early 80s to when they took full control in the mid-80s. They saved the Utah Jazz. The Jazz are not in Utah today if it isn't for the Millers, and they have done a wonderful, wonderful job over the past, I'll say, 40 years. Um, and so we're very thankful for them, but that doesn't mean we're not excited for the future and what that brings. No, I, I echo that 100%, McCade. I My life goes a completely different different direction if the Millers don't step up and uh, buy a portion of the franchise in 85 and then the next year, 86, they be, they buy the rest of the franchise and pledge to keep it here. They, you know, Larry and Gail had both grown up here and wanted to keep the franchise in Salt Lake. And I, I'm just, I, I'm not even sure I would care about the NBA if the Jazz hadn't been here in Salt Lake. So, um, yeah, tip of the cap to them. I, I just to... Uh, the epitome of stability when it comes to professional franchise ownership. And, um, yeah, so so thank you to the Millers. Thank you to Gail and making sure that she could set this up to somebody who it sounds like is also going, has every intent to keep the team here in, in Utah. But, I mean, McCain, let's kind of use that as a springboard. Yes, every intention, it sounds like, is for Ryan Smith to keep the Jazz here in Utah. Uh, and the jazz name. I've heard some things about them changing the jazz yeah. name. I would be shocked if that happened. Yeah, One more so, thing I do want to shout out to Gail. They, he didn't buy the team 100%. I don't know if he bought a 51 or 99.9 or whatever the exact numbers are. But Gail Miller still owns a small part of the jazz. And I can guarantee you she's still going to be sitting on the front row the majority of the season in the future. She's not leaving. She's just moving on but she will still be the one of the biggest jazz fans out there she'll still be at the games on the front row in a normal seat i'm sure of it and we'll still be able to see her around she better be and the next time we get fans in the stands she is going to get one hell of a standing ovation i've got a feeling and so will ryan smith this is an exciting time to be a jazz fan and as i said i'm very thankful and impressed by both sides and i'm excited for the future so, but so what do you want to springboard to so jumping right into it mccade New ownership, especially over the last 15, 20 years, has proven over and over again in the NBA and Major League Baseball and the NFL. When they come in, they want to kind of get their their, their fingerprints on the franchise and make some changes. And, I mean, this is something you ha- have said already on Twitter. Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck, Quinn Snyder, each one of these three guys, are they on the hot seat right now? 
like immediately with this ownership change? Um, yes and no. They're not going to be fired today or tomorrow. Um, but I do think if this next season, even if it's a weird season, doesn't go the way it's planned, it wouldn't shock me if one of them moved on um, from either side of the parties. But, uh, yeah, at the very, very least, there's going to be questions asked. And if you know me, <laughs> Mr. Firestarter, I am always about asking questions and asking questions and probing and asking questions and whatnot. And so I think that's a good thing. Would it shock me if Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck, and Quinn Snyder were all still in the Jazz organization three, four, five years? No. But would it shock me if one, two, even all three are gone in three, four, five years? No. Um, when you get a new owner, as you mentioned a little bit, it opens the variance. So the ceiling's a lot higher now, and the floor's a lot higher now. And that's for everyone's jobs. That's for the Jazz Odds to win a championship or be the next Knicks. That's for everything. The variance is back open, as we're not quite sure, for lack of a better term, what the strategy is going to be moving forward. You know, I, I think to put it in perspective here, this is a kid, Ryan Smith. He, I say kid. Uh, he's he's 40 years old. He's four years older than I am. So first of all, I mean, what have I done with my life lately? <laughs> I think I think is a fair question, but this is a this is a guy who's I I think I paraphrase here a little bit, but I think it's probably safe to say he's never really failed at anything in life. He's forty years old and he has billions of dollars. He has enough money he can just throw by by the reports right now one point six six billion dollars down and buy an NBA franchise. Like there are thirty of these things. And he, he was able to start and, and grow Qualtrics to the point where he, he could sell it for billions of dollars. So this is a guy who's been good at everything. He feels like he's smart. He's Every time he steps into a room, he's the smartest guy in the room. And so my, my biggest thing, and the reason why I would say that each of those three, Dennis, Lindsey, Justin Zanuck, and Quinn Snyder are on the hot seat, not necessarily like, hey, if if you don't do this or that, you're going to get fired tomorrow. But on the hot seat, like they're, they're going to be pushed. They're going to be challenged because this is a guy who I'm sure is going to step in and feel like he knows best. And so the question is, is he going to be one of those good owners? Uh, you know, When I think of good owners, I think of guys like Joe Lacob and Steve Ballmer with the Warriors and Clippers, respectively, come in, they invest money into the franchise. They understand they might not see... Uh, all of that back in return immediately, but they invest money and they empower the basketball people to make basketball decisions as opposed to some bad owners like James Dolan of the Knicks, Robert Sarver of the Suns, guys who just meddle and tinker. And for whatever reason, it doesn't work out over decades and decades and decades. So you always wonder what kind of owner is Ryan Smith going to end up being? Is he going to be the guy who understands is is smart enough to realize his own limitations and lets basketball people make the basketball decisions and we just trust him in terms of that hiring process? Or is he going to be the guy who is hands-on and, and very involved? And not to say that's not successful either because Mark Cuban is somebody I know you and I both love. So what type of an owner do you anticipate him being just based on the limited amount of information we have? Maybe this is my bias coming in. This is the type of owner I want him to be. But he really needs to come in and say, hey, I got more money than the Millers. I'm putting my time and effort and resources into this. But for the first two or three years, I'm going to step back and just learn. Because it doesn't matter how big of an NBA fan you are. When you buy a team like this, you don't know how the salary cap works and the, for lack of a better term, the ethics of the league working, the flow of everything. It's just kind of how the machine runs. 
And if you come in and try to be a little too hands-on on that quickly, it can screw things up. So, for example, the Jazz have a huge, huge summer coming up, right? Can I say summer? As it's Let's call it. I, I think that triggers the, <laughs> the correct memory response. <laughs> All right. So as the summer comes up and here in the next six weeks, the Jazz have some big decisions to make. Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell extensions, or they bring back Jordan Clarkson, all the stuff we've talked about. And there's a chance we're a tax team, and there's a very, 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 very good chance we're a tax team here in the next two, three, four years. And so you need Ryan to come in, be hands-off, trust the guys who are doing what they do, and just be willing to pay the tax and learn the next couple years. And I'm sure he's well aware we're going into the tax with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Like, I'm sure that's pretty clear at this point. And that's how you build a winning franchise and get to where you need to be because the NBA ownership market's a weird thing. NBA owners don't make money off the NBA. They usually lose a little bit of money, use as a tax write-off, and they treat it like almost like the housing market where, okay, if we can break even every year for 30 years and then sell the team for 500% of what we bought it for, that's where you make your money. How much did Gail Miller buy the Jazz for? $18 million, I think. Uh, right? 20, 22 million total. 22 million total. And now she just sold it for 1.66 billion. And so that's where NBA owners make their money off the team. It's is, not in year to year things. Is that a good return? 22 million to uh, <laughs> 1.66 billion over the course of 35 years? You know, I, I don't know. So. I do that. If I had $22 million and you could promise me 1.66 billion here in 30 years, I would do that and work a minimum wage job for the next 35 years, knowing what I have coming. Eh, I guess six of one, half dozen of another. I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> but that's where Ryan Smith needs to come in. He's kind of, he's obviously Steve Ballmer, like far and far away more rich than every other NBA owner. And he makes, has like five or six times more money than the second highest owner. But Ryan Smith is that fan coming in. I'm going to be involved. I am going to want to know what's going on. But for the most part, I'm going to let the smart people do their jobs. At least, as I said, that might be my bias of what I hope happens and not what actually happens. As a fan of baseball, the, the, the last time one of my teams was sold and it was a, a childhood fan that bought them, it was the Cubs, and they ended up winning the title in 2016. So, hey, you know, I, I've got some good vibes there. I feel pretty good about it. Um, so just... In that light where we've talked about you're going to let the basketball people make basketball decisions, but we're going to lean toward right now trusting him to hire the right people for those positions. So who or what or how do you see the first major shakeup? I mean, traditionally, you get one of these new owners. There's something significant that happens in the first six months. We've already called this a huge summer for the Jazz with Rudy Gobert's contract situation coming up. They don't necessarily have to make a decision this year, but you f- the, the feeling is that that's probably what's going to happen. They've already talked about how when as soon as the the league year opens and they're able to they plan on offering Donovan Mitchell the maximum that they can offer him what's the first major shakeup outside of those things that i feel like we can safely expect what so, where do you think it goes from here i've talked about how the repeater tax right once you've been a tax team i think it's four out of every 5 years um that the tax bill it, it changes so it's even worse than before right we talked a little bit about that and so that's the main reason the Jazz don't want to go into the tax this year. I think there's a chance now that he comes in and says, you know what, we're going to go in the tax this year, and if we're in the repair tax in five years, I'm okay with it. And that's a tens of millions of dollars investment. 
But if the Jazz really want to compete for three, four, five years, they need to be super aggressive today and tomorrow and next year and so on and so forth. And so I think there's a bigger chance now you see the Jazz sign Clarkson to a real deal as well as use the MLE and maybe the biannual. And they really get in and they say, you know what, if we go over the taxes here, that's okay. I'm willing to pay that. I think the Millers would have, would be hesitant on that because, you know, let's be real, sports and movie theaters and whatnot is probably not the best market to be in during COVID. And so I think there's going to be more of a push to win now than necessarily was with Gail Miller and the rest of her family. So, but wouldn't that be kind of opposite of, of your idea of him coming in for two, three years and just learning and watching and, and trying to understand the business? Yeah, but I think he more comes in and says, I'm giving you permission to do this. They, okay. The Millers might have set a limit, don't go into the taxes here. He might say, go into the taxes here, however you see best fit to do that. And if you do end up doing that, if you believe that's the right path, that's okay. I'll figure it out in four or five years from now. Okay, um, so so if we assume we're going into the tax next year, are, does this mean we're more likely, I already said you think it's more likely we spend some money on um, Jordan Clarkson and go into that $10, $11, $12 million range. Is it more or less likely that they sign Rudy Gobert to the Supermax? Or do they offer still... It, they, I think our consensus belief was that they're going to offer less than the Supermax, but probably more than the Max. It, does it make it more or less likely that Rudy gets the, the Supermax going forward? I think that's another possibility. I think if there was any fears of paying Rudy because of tax reasons and this and that, I think those are out the window. I think Ryan is a smart guy, obviously, and I think he's going to come in and be very aware that this team could get very expensive the next four or five years as you have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert on different bookends of their prime, but both in their prime. And that's okay if you want to win. Um, it also gives them experience. So when the Jazz are in this position in 10, 15, 20 years, knock on wood, he knows what happens when you get towards the title. And he's not just trying to figure out the James Dolan get out of the bottom of the league situation. As I said, that's just kind of my gut feeling right now. A lot of things are up in the air. I will say it's funny you bring up Rudy Gobert and Supermax because Rudy Gobert, about 30 seconds ago, just became the first Jazz player that I've seen to tweet out at Ryan and congratulate him on buying the team. So, hey, how about that? Look at that beautiful timing. Rudy Gobert is excited, and he is completely dedicated to make this organization the best it can be and to continue the great work he's been doing for our communities. Rudy Gobert is also very grateful for the Miller family and the amazing organization they have built over the years. It's a new chapter for the Jazz, but they will forever be a big part of this team, and none of this would be possible without them. So amen to Rudy Gobert. Um, the players, I'm sure, are excited. It's an inch, as we're talking right now, it's an interesting dynamic of what's about to unfold. It is, because there's there's so many different moving parts. You know, it's not just the on-the-floor product. It is the coaching staff. It's the front office. It's the way the, the franchise as a whole is run. Is you know, Is it going to be a team and a franchise that is okay with going into that, the tax and the repeater tax and spending more money than they actually have on the books if it means bringing back a title. And it's it's really interesting because for as much as I've loved the Millers and they've been a great stabilizing force to have the Jazz here in Utah, I never got the feeling that they wanted to go above and beyond the, the way you have to to truly be a title contender year after year. You can catch lightning in a bottle once in a while. The 2004 Pistons come to mind. But to build a true contender year after year, you, you, you have to spend the tax in today's NBA. 
Yeah, and that's kind of my first realization that Jazz are going to have a really hard time winning a title. Is so they paid the tax in 2009 towards the end of Karolinko's contract. And then in 2010, they were on pace to pay it, and they traded away Ronnie Brewer to Memphis for basically nothing in return. And then that summer, they didn't match Portland's offer to Wesley Matthews, and all of a sudden, we didn't have a shooting guard. Um, Darren Williams' contract extension then kicked in, and we paid the tax in 2011. And then, of course, things fell apart with you, Will, and we know the rest. So those are the only two years the Jazz have ever been a tax team, was 2009-2011. And it, it just was very interesting to me that the Jazz traded away Ronnie Brewer and then didn't match the Wesley Matthews contract, um, which we can get into in a whole podcast if we wanted. But I don't see Ryan Smith doing anything like that in these first four or five, six years, that he's going to be ready to pay the tax. I don't think the Jazz are going to, you know, the Rockets owner has been doing this where he's been trying to avoid the tax very, very heavily. And that's, we can get to the Daryl Morey news along with that if you want to. But as I said, I think Ryan, at least I hope Ryan knows what he's getting himself into over the rest of Donovan Mitchell's Utah Jazz tenure. Do we see more of a commitment to winning? Um, you know, do we see a different level of that commitment? You know, Mark Cuban is somebody who took the Mavericks from just, I mean, really, but it, they were essentially a second-rate NBA organization, and he he made it all about the players and the creature comforts and built a beautiful practice center and did various things for the Mavericks. Now, the Jazz already have that that practice center that is second to none in the NBA, they have a lot of those creature comforts. What other types of things um, do you think that a guy like Ryan Smith can bring to the table and understanding, having more of that millennial mindset and understanding what the players might want and value more than uh, you know somebody in their 70s like a Gail Miller? No, that's a very interesting question because, as you mentioned, the Jazz have the practice facility, really nice one. It's only six minutes from the arena, which is a lot closer than most NBA teams have the luxury of. Um, the arena just got redone, so I don't think a new arena is in the works anytime soon, maybe in about 5, 10, 15 years. And, yeah, it's just a weird situation where there's nothing to really go all in on that except for let's win basketball games. And players around the league respect winning. And I think, no disrespect to the Millers, who were very, very happy to win 50 games and maybe a first-round matchup, maybe losing the first round every year, I think Ryan will want to win. He'll be more bold in trying to get to that top of the mountain, even if it means slipping down to the bottom of the mountain a little more often. As as we talk about this, I, I question, I ask myself, is this what I think Ryan Smith is going to be, or is it just what I'm really hoping the Jazz get as an owner? <laughs> I know. I'm going back and forth on that. But like, let's stop and talk about the Jazz for the last 40 years for a second. Second in winning percentage, only behind the Spurs. Right, they've won a ton. Um, obviously, the two finals appearances, but no championship. Gil and Larry Miller never fired one single head coach in their 35 years owning the team. Frank Layden stepped down on his own. Jerry Sloan stepped down on his own, and then Ty Corbin's contract expired. So they've never fired a coach. Um, they haven't really fired a general manager either. We've only had what three over the last 30 years. So as we've talked about, there's been such stability in the organization, which is a really good thing to keep your floor high. You have the same people working. You're going to get to 45-50 win. And I just wonder, A, if that changes, and B, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's an interesting question. Um, you know, you've got teams in other sports, and the Steelers come to mind, been a very stable franchise, um, very few head coaches. Uh, Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, and Mike Tomlin, I believe, are the three since the 60s or something like that. 
Uh, and I think it's kind of a fair comparison in, when you're you're looking at stability in franchises. But the Steelers have been able to parlay that stability into several Super Bowls. I think five, and that would be the difference with the Jazz. Sometimes I I wonder if sometimes you get you become so comfortable in a position that it's necessary to have some shakeup to get everybody thinking a little bit differently. I'm not saying that the Jazz are in that position right now, but sometimes having that healthy fear is a good thing to have. And and I, the concern of I, but I'm going to work today and I need to bring my A game because if I don't, you know, it's that that same starting quarterback mentality or, or whatever it is as an athlete. But I I need to give my all 110 percent because if I don't, somebody else is coming to take my job. Yeah, and everything's healthy and balanced, right? You got to keep everything balanced, and so we'll see. Is there a chance the Jazz are one of the worst five teams in the NBA in two or three years, and we're going, "What the heck just happened?" Sure, but is there a chance the Jazz are lifting the Larry O'Brien Trophy in the next two or three years because of some more bold moves and we go into luxury tax and we put the pedal to the metal? Also, sure. Yeah. And so these next two three years are going to be really defining of where the Jazz are headed, um, which we already knew because of the whole Rudy and Donovan timeline situation. But now let's just add another layer of how important these next couple of years are. We keep referring back to Mark Cuban. So Mark Cuban was 42 when he bought the Mavericks. Very similar situation. Just kind of a young, I'll say kid at 42 years old as I'm sitting here at 23, who just <laughs> loved the team and wanted to be involved and wanted to win a championship. And Cuban did it great. And they obviously finally won a title in 2011. And they're still doing great here in 2020. Luke is awesome. And uh, Mark Cuban's been phenomenal, right? And so his, I believe it was in his first year as owner is when the Mavericks beat the Jazz in the playoffs and kind of ended the Stockton and Malone era. Um, and he was just right on it right from the beginning. Even though they already had Dirk and Nash, he just he put – I want to say – I need to go look this up. So don't quote me on this. But I want to say they made a pretty interesting like financial move that first season that kind of gave him that little extra piece to make a little run in the playoffs. And so we'll see how this goes. Um, Ryan Smith now, youngest owner in the NBA. The Grizzlies owner is 42. Ryan Smith's 40. And the 28th oldest owner in the NBA is 55. So it is a very youthful group and a very young, energetic, ready-to-go man buying the Jazz. As you were talking about Mark Cuban in that first-round series against the Jazz, uh, I, I started wondering, if are we going to get that owner that sits next to the visitor's bench and is running his mouth and talking to the officials? Uh, <laughs> like, is what Larry Miller used to be, uh, as not sitting right next to the opponent's bench, but that involved and vocal owner sitting on the sideline that occasionally gets into it with players, occasionally gets into it with fans. I, <laughs> man, that'd it's be a lot of fun. That. Well, it's funny you say that because we have season tickets to the Jazz, right? And we sit fifth row behind the visitor's bench. And so I have sat next to Mark Cuban at a Jazz game and done that with him. Like, personally talked to Mark Cuban sitting behind the Mavericks bench. And it is so fun. And it's just a great experience for everyone around. It makes the product of the NBA better when you have owners like that. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it can be a distraction. Uh, you, you just... <laughs> Sometimes the distraction is good. You just never want it to become a sideshow. And I, I have no idea if that's who Ryan Smith is, but that, that would be kind of fun <laughs> to have that, that personality in, in Salt Lake and a guy who 
you know, that would change the way you could brand the Jazz, having that brash young owner like a Mark Cuban was. That would be a lot of fun. All right, like McCade. Larry, like, like Larry H. Miller was. Let's be real. Like, Larry H. Miller was like that. Exactly. He came in and, and he turned things on its head. It was a lot of fun. All right. I, we were going to talk about Derek Favors today, but with this news coming down, we'll push Favors to next week. We've got a great podcast planned to talk about him, the value he could bring to the Jazz, what he was able to accomplish last season, and um, all of that as it pertains to Jazz free agent targets. But let's really quick do news and notes, and then we'll wrap up with our NFL picks, McCade. Stan Van Gundy. We got a Van Gundy back in the league hired by the Pelicans. Is this a good hire if you're the the Pelicans and if you're Zion Williamson, last year's number one pick? Well, it's funny. When they hired him, I was like, wow, it's been a while since he was in the league. Like, how long ago was he with the Magic? Because I totally forgot his piston dates for like 15 <laughs> minutes, um, which says something, right? No, but I think that's a solid hire. We'll have to see how he does. Uh, Stan Van Gundy, obviously, with news with the Magic, kind of developed the first rim and three team. We give a lot of credit to Daryl Morey, who we'll get to. But that Dwight Howard Magic team was Dwight Howard in the middle and three-point shooters everywhere else. Yep. And they went to the finals. And if they just would have committed, if Dwight Howard just would have had the mental awareness that Rudy Gobert has, and instead of wasting five possessions a game on post-ups, just was a 17-point-per-game scorer instead of a 22, they probably win the title. But he was very initiative in that we're going to shoot threes and get to the rim and have a dominant big man in Dwight and shooters. And so I'm interested to see if he does something similar with Zion. Um not quite Dwight Howard, obviously. He can handle the ball a little bit more, but the same freak of nature, number one overall pick. So I'm excited for that hire and interested to see how it goes. I think Van Gundy's a good hire. He's a guy who in Detroit showed that he just can't be the, the head coach and GM. He doesn't need to be in charge of all basketball-related decisions. As a coach, as an on-the-floor tactician, he, he's always been good with Orlando and in Detroit. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a good hire. It'll be interesting to see how he builds that team and what the philosophy is going to be around Zion Williamson as that centerpiece. But good hire there in New Orleans. And then McCade, your guy, Daryl Morey, I thought he was going to be out of basketball at least for a year. I I didn't expect him to be in the NBA again, but five years to the 76ers apparently to run their basketball operations. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, so they're keeping Elton Brand in the GM role, kind of like the Jazz. When the Jazz promoted Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck last year, uh, same idea where Elton Brand's still going to be the general manager and Daryl Morey's going to be the Dennis Lindsay up in the, uh, on, what do they call it, basketball operations president, something yeah. like that. They all have their different little terms for their positions. But, yeah, so he'll be pretty hands-on in Philly, and I think you could see some strong moves in Philly, not here in the next three, four, five months, but really next offseason um, in terms of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, James Harden available, Chris Paul available. Um, but uh, Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers go way back to the Boston days when they were in Boston together for a few years in the mid-2000s. So good relationship there. One of the rumors of why Daryl Morey left was that he wanted Doc Rivers in Houston, and there were some issues there. So uh, Doc, or the Doc Rivers, Daryl Morey together in Philly should be fun to watch. And at the very least, Daryl Morey is interesting and willing to make moves. So that just got really fun. That's, that's the biggest thing is he's always looking outside the box. He's always thinking differently. Seems like when he takes over a team, they always make a couple moves that make you, just make you go, hmm, that's interesting. Okay, I see where they're going with that. Is he going to uh, – yeah, there's a lot of questions with the 76ers. Doc and Maury together, that, that could be a really good combination for them. Uh, I still think you need to move on from one of those guys, whether it be Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. 
Personally, I, I'm not a believer in Joel Embiid's ability to stay healthy. Uh, not that Simmons has shown that either, but Embiid's co- commitment to um, physical fitness, we'll say, is a, a little bit lacking. So if I'm if I'm the Sixers, I I probably look to move on and get the best deal from Joel Embiid possible. But I put this on Twitter yesterday, and of course I got some hate because you know it's me. But uh, Trey Young for Joel Embiid? Who says no? Um. See, it's interesting because Trey Young can't play defense, and Atlanta's is so high on him. Anyway, that's just an interesting like idea I came up with yesterday. But yeah, Philadelphia is going to have to probably make some moves at some point. And I said I expect it to be this next off season, not necessarily here the next few weeks or into the season. But there are questions that Daryl Morey will himself answer. And then the last thing, McCade. It seems like every seven days we have more to talk about on this. The proposed. December 22nd start date now. <laughs> you and I got into it on Twitter for a moment. I just don't think this is going to happen. They're supposed to have 60 days from when they announce the start of a season to allow players to, and teams to make plans for that. And they've already, I mean, basically they have to get this done by Friday for this to even be a remote possibility. I don't see it happening. I think this is, it's just a negotiation tactic where you're the NBA, you start it. December 22nd, and then when we come to the inevitable, the players are saying March, and inevitably we're going to come to Martin Luther King Day, January 18th, and that's going to be the NBA start date. I think you just push the calendar back one month from what we're talking about in December. will actually happen in January. It'll probably be 72 games, and we'll see some different travel changes and stuff like that. I mean, what do you think? I told you they're going to start on Christmas-ish. They're going to get everything figured out. I also said 72-game schedule, which just means the, the, when you play a team in your conference a fourth time, you do that 10 times a year, you just drop those 10 games. So you play three against your conference, two against the other conference in 72, and it all works great. You do the short and travel. So when you go to L.A., you play the Clippers and Lakers, maybe even three games. When you go to Oklahoma City, you can play them twice, something like that. Um, you know, when you go on a East Coast road trip this season, it might be seven or eight games instead of four or five, so you have to make two trips out there. Um, but yeah, they're going to try and cut down. I don't want to say cut down on travel a lot, but they're going to try and cut down on the cross country travel. So where if you're going out to LA, you're going to make it worthwhile. If you're going out to the East Coast, you're going to make it worthwhile. Um, but we'll see. The interesting thing everyone's talking about right now is free agency. So they set the draft in stone Wednesday, November 18th. And then everyone's kind of up in the air on when free agency is going to start and when is it appropriate to start. Yeah, I mean, free agency is really interesting. Um, I'll talk about free agency in just a moment. I, and I just wanted to let you know that you you were proving my point that they can't possibly start in mid to late December because of all those things that you just mentioned still have to be figured out. And that's not going to happen over the next couple of days. Now, with free agency... Free agency is going to be nuts. I th- I think that what they're they're ultimately going to end up doing is the same thing they've done every July for the last, you know, however many years. Is free agency is going to happen? Uh, the draft is on Wednesday, the eighteenth of November. I think free agency is going to start that probably Friday Sunday night. or Monday, maybe maybe that weekend, possibly that Friday night. And and we're going to be dealing with free agency over Thanksgiving. I don't know why people are making this out to be a big deal. We deal with the 4th of July every year. The 4th day of free agency every year is the 4th of July. We can get over the 4th day of free agency being Thanksgiving. Yeah. Especially because there's no fun free agents this year. Sorry to be kind of a downer. <laughs> but uh, 
anyone who's even semi-worthwhile will be signing the first two or three days anyway. So as long as Gordon Hayward's not making his rounds, which sounds like it might actually be a low-key possibility, we can put away the, it's a holiday, well, we can't have free agency rumor. So that's super interesting. A lot of people are complaining that the draft of free agency might only be 48, 72 hours, but it's about that every year. Um, the draft's always on a Thursday, and then free agency always starts on June 30th. And so sometimes it's two, three days, sometimes it's six, seven days. But overall, it's not a long time between the draft and free agency, and I don't think that changes this year. But uh, that's only about three, four weeks away, so we might have a lot of jazz news coming up quick. Yeah, there is, there's going to be a lot going on. But, uh, McCade, where can they find you on social media? Uh, at McCade P8, that's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. Uh, I'll be talking a lot about how excited I am for the ownership change as well as how much I love the Millers, but uh, I'm excited for the future. Always a good follow on Twitter. You can find me, Brian Priest, at BPriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. Uh, home court press if you like what you're hearing if you enjoy the content if you have any ideas about some off-season topics that you'd like to talk about please reach out to either McKay or I and let us know um, remember to share rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it uh, just want people more people to know about it and have access to it so we can just expand our fan base but with all that being said we're a jazz podcast but now we're talking NFL football. We're doing our top three locks of the week. I, I don't know. Maybe locks of the week is a little bit strong. <laughs> but after last weekend, McCade, you went 2-1 and one and still couldn't close any ground on me as I went 3-0 and oh for the second time this season. The Tampa-Oakland game got me. Dude, I'm glad they – I mean, I still won that game, but I felt better about it not being on Sunday night because the Sunday night game has been biting me. Yeah, so we're bouncing back, but since you won last week, you get to go first, so I, I'm going to look to Cincinnati. The Titans, they go into Cincinnati. They're favored by six, so Titans minus six. And I was impressed. They they had that undefeated showdown with the Steelers last weekend. And the second half, I thought the Titans really played well, had a chance to win that game after going down like 20 points early. So I think they go into Cincinnati, and this is going to be a really tough game for rookie Joe Burrow. Yeah, couldn't quite bite that one. I'm rolling with my Packers again. They're 2-0 this season when I pick them, so why not do it again? They're minus 6.5 at home against the Vikings coming off a bye. And the Packers took care of business in week one in Minnesota, and I think they do the same here. So Packers minus 6.5 at Lambeau Field against the Vikings. You That was an awful lot of words to say Packers minus 6.5 because the Vikings are a dumpster fire. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, and my Packers are not a dumpster fire. Let's give them some credit at number one in the NFC right now. Oh, Packers are definitely looking good. That is not a game that I picked, but I think we share one once again. And we we didn't even go the other direction on this one. Just straight up Jets plus 19 and a half in Kansas oh. City. And and really, it's the, the worst team in the NFL against the best. The only reason, it's 19 and a half points. That's basically three touchdowns. To... Yeah, so I did some research on that. Wow. This is the ninth highest spread in NFL history. And out of the top eight, the favorites are one seven against the spread. Only one team has ever had a, we'll say, twenty point advantage and covered it. Uh, the Steelers back in the mid eighties had a twenty eight point um, favorite and they won forty two to zero. So good for them. But the other seven, all above twenty, all came up short. So I just don't see nineteen half a huge number. I couldn't quite ignore that. I was going to go one way or the other and. Starting a game with a 20-0 to zero lead makes me feel pretty confident in any NFL team, even one that is coached by Adam Gates. 
that's a tough one, man. Nineteen and a half. I'll I'll take points. I'm glad you actually did the research on that one, though. My last game of the weekend. I I don't know. I just kind of had a feeling about this one. Right now, it doesn't look as great to me as I begin to spell it out for the world. But I got the Raiders plus three and a half in Cleveland. Um, the Browns lost another offensive weapon, Odell Beckham Jr., out with a ACL injury. Uh, honestly, you could kind of argue how much of a loss that is for them. Uh, and then the Raiders have been just a Jekyll and Hyde team all season. They go out and beat the Saints, and uh, and they beat the Chiefs, and then they lose some games that you would expect them to be able to win. And I I think it's time for another good showing, and they, they beat the Browns outright. But I'll take the three and a half points if you want to give them to me. Yeah, I'm kind of going the same route, different game, but uh, maybe it's just because my best friend's a diehard Lions fan, so I get talked up Lions 70 hours a week. But I don't see how they don't cover. Plus three at home against the Colts. The Colts have some really good wins this year and some really bad losses. Uh, they just barely edged out the Bengals a couple weeks ago after being down 21-0 early, and something's just off there. Uh, kind of a interconference rivalry game as they're only separated by about an hour and a half of freeway. But um, give me the Lions. At home, plus three points against Philip Rivers and the Colts. That sounds like an awful football game. I'm definitely not watching. <laughs> my my buddy was going to it, and then COVID happened. <laughs> All right, McCabe. Well, that wraps us up for home court press this week. I've got the Titans minus six against the Bengals. The Jets, we both have the Jets plus 19 and a half against the Chiefs. And I've got the Raiders plus three and a half over the Browns. I got Packers minus six and a half against the Vikings at home and the Lions plus three at home against the Colts. And uh, as I said, we'll see what Adam Gates and the Jets can do against the Chiefs with the eighth, ninth biggest spread in NFL history. And I, and uh, on the season, I'm 10 and five. You're six and nine. Can't even close the gap when you win two out of three games, McCade. It's going to be a tough uphill <laughs> battle for you. I feel bad. Can't close the gap when we choose the same game either. So uh, <laughs> we'll see if we can cut your lead in half this week. All right, man. We'll catch you next week, Derek Favors Talk, and maybe you'll get into some draft stuff. That's slowly creeping up on us, and who knows what other news and notes will pop up around the league. Thanks for listening to Home Court Press.